Welcome to the anointed and transformational teaching ministry of Pastor Wale Akinshiku, Senior Pastor of House of Praise Mississauga, Canada, a parish of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. It is our prayer that as you listen to this message, that you will be empowered to achieve your dreams and fulfill your destiny. God bless you as you listen. Father, thank you. You've generously given us your Holy Spirit to take the reins and to teach us from lecture one to lecture eight. We are amazed at what you've been teaching us. Receive our thanks in Jesus' name. Today, as we're wrapping up first semester, we're asking you, oh God, teach us again. Open up our hearts to receive. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Messianic prophecies is Jesus the Messiah, part two. Last week I told you the Bible is full of many recorded prophecies about the coming of Christ. Christ is the anointed one, Yeshua Amashia, all right? Jesus the Christ, all right? In this Bible prophecies about Jesus the Messiah, that's what is called the Messianic prophecies. There are over 300 of these Messianic prophecies that have been literally fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus. There are about 590, okay, Messianic prophecies in the Bible. Some of them have to do with the first coming of Christ. Some of them have to do with the second coming of Christ. But over 300 of them have been fulfilled in his first coming. The others will be fulfilled. Why are we going through all of this? Why are we teaching all of this systematically? Let me show you, it's not on my slides, but let me show you on the other screen. The book of Luke, chapter one, from verse one to three. Luke, chapter one, verse one to three. This is the reason why I'm going through all of this with you. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, all right? Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the world delivered to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you. Now, listen to this now. Writing to you an orderly account. Luke chapter 1, verse 3. So we're taking it step by step, an orderly account. What is the purpose of an orderly account of Scripture? Verse 4 tells us. Keep going then. Keep going. That you may know the certain you see, because many Christians don't have an assurance. They don't know the certainty. If I stand now and a demon shows up, and I must tell you, this is just in terms of experiences. I've seen a demon before, okay? I've had an experience with angels before. I've done all of that. I've seen all of that. I will not be afraid because I know the certainty of what I believe. I am not afraid. There's no demon that's going to make me afraid. If a demon manifests, witches manifest, wizard, if I'm taking a walk 2 a.m. in the morning and I'm praying and I suddenly see a group of witches, I'm not running away from them because I know the certainty of what I believe. I'm not saying, in the name of Jesus, blood of Jesus, I mean, name of Jesus. I'm not doing all of that. I'm walking through them because I know the certainty. Many people don't know the certainty. So the reason why, and you can never know the certainty if you don't have an orderly account. Are we still okay together? So that's why we're doing this. So then let's look at it then. So with the orderly account of the Messianic prophecies, I've taken the liberty to break it down into five 
headings, the birth of Christ, the ministry, the death and the burial, the resurrection and the entrobing. Please understand, these teachings are not exhaustive. Like I said, there are over 300 Messianic prophecies that have been fulfilled. Last week, I only covered 12 of them concerning his birth. There are many more. There are about 25 or 28 when I counted about his birth. But I only covered 12 to walk you through an orderly account. So today I'm going to skip the one about his ministry. I'm going to go to something else that is uh, that will resonate a lot more with our faith. And it has to do with the death and burial of Christ. So we look at the birth of Christ last week. This week, we're going to look at the death and the burial. The burial, death and the burial of Christ. So first, I want you to know, the entire life of Jesus Christ on earth was well planned out and documented by God the Father. No aspect of the life of Christ was a mistake. Everything was well planned out and, speak to me, and documented by God the Father. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 to 7. Therefore, when he came into the world, that's Jesus Christ now, and this is what he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, a body you have prepared for me. In bonds, offerings, and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Oh my God, I love this. Verse 7, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book, it is written, come on, of me to do your will, O God. So there's a volume that's been written about Christ. And as you can see, look at all of these prophecies we'll be talking about. Volume, every single detail is being written about him. Every single detail, you know. And now, when we are not give our lives to Christ, I want you to know that every single detail of your life is also being planned out. Say amen, please. So what are the prophecies about the death and the burial of Jesus? I'm only going to share eight of them with you. Then I'm going to go into something called application. Please listen carefully. Number one. The first one is that the first messianic prophecy about the death of Christ I want to share with you is that he will be betrayed by a friend. Okay? That Jesus Christ will be betrayed, that the Messiah, when he comes, the person that will betray him will be his friend. Psalm 41 verse 9 is where the prophecy is. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. That is the Messianic prophecy. So whoever is going to betray Jesus Christ cannot be his enemy. Whoever is going to be him, betraying him cannot be his family. He says familiar friend. It cannot be an acquaintance. It has to be somebody that can, is close enough with him to eat bread with him. And we see the fulfillment. There are many scriptures in, this, in the New Testament that talk about the fulfillment, but this is one of them. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve. What does he mean by one of the twelve? The twelve disciples, also call them twelve apostles, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. To betray him to them. Okay? The same thing is recorded in 
Matthew chapter 10, verse 4, there are many scriptures in the New Testament. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, that sat down with Jesus and ate with him many times, he betrayed him. Even on the Last Supper, he was still there, but he was the one. He went to the chief priest to betray him to them. The second prophecy, that Jesus Christ will be sold for 30 pieces of silver. In other words, the Messiah, when he comes, he will be sold. This betrayal process, the person will collect 30 pieces of silver. Not 29, not 31, but 30. It has to be 30. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12. Then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. For the way that my wages, 30 pieces of silver. That is this messianic prophecy. You have to remember, Zechariah was also the one that prophesied, and we'll get to that maybe hopefully later on, about Jesus riding on the donkey into Jerusalem, that the Messiah will ride on the donkey into Jerusalem. That is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And this was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 21. So Zechariah also prophesied that the wages for the betrayer will be 30 pieces of silver. This is the fulfillment in Matthew 26, verse 15. Matthew 26, verse 15. And said, this is Judas now, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him, come on, how many pieces? 30 pieces of silver. Now, the amazing thing is that there are many more prophecies around this area that the money will actually not be spent, that the money will be dropped. But because of time, I won't go through all of that with you. And that the money that is dropped will not be taken back into the treasury, that it will be used to buy a potter's field. The prophecy came through Jeremiah. And that's exactly what happened. All right? But let's move on. Okay? Okay? Jesus had some false witnesses. He said, fierce witnesses have risen up against me. They ask me things I do not know. They reward me evil for good. All right? And Matthew 26, verse 59 to 61 says, even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and they said that Jesus Christ had spoken and said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. So these are false witnesses. Okay, number four. Don't worry, I'm rushing through this quickly, but the slides are going to be, as you know, on the app by 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time today. All right, so you can go there and look at it. The prophecy that Jesus Christ will be wounded and bruised. Okay? Not only that he will die for our sins. Please, you have to understand this. Many Christians are not detailed. God is a God of details. We cannot substitute one particular principle for another. Christ came and did the work of redemption. It is a full work of redemption. Okay? And you have to understand what each aspect means for us today. But first, let's look at it. The fact that Christ will be wounded and bruised. Okay? In Isaiah 53 verse 5, the Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Not by his blood. Not by his death. But by his stripes we are healed. In Matthew 27, 26 NKJV 
the Bible says Pontius Pilate released Barabbas to them and when he had scorched Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now, one of the teachings we did in this Academy of Faith is about Bible translations. You remember? Some of you have been saying, I read my Bible, I don't understand because you've been reading translations that are not uh, a perfect fit for you. So look at this, for example. This is just a, a good example. I read NKJV. But I read NKJV because, you know, I have the time to be able to go deeper into it in different dimensions. But it says, Jesus was scorched. Now, if you read this now, I know that many of you are gifted grammatically. You will understand scorch. It means to beat. All right. But you move on. You move on. But let's look at it in two other translations, okay? In the NLT, it says, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Now, if they flog somebody with a lead-tipped whip, do you think the person will be wounded? Yes. Speak to me. Will he be wounded? Yes. Will the person be bruised? So they flogged him with a lead-tipped whip. Now let's look at one more translation, the New Century Version. He said, he set Barabbas free, but Jesus was beaten. Now, let me say this to you. Beating Jesus does not atone for our sins. It is the blood that atones for our sins. When John the Baptist saw Jesus in John chapter 1 verse 29 and John chapter 1 verse 36 he said this is the behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world the, the, it, is, it is blood Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 put it on the screen Hebrews 9 22 thank you Lord according to the law almost all things are purified with blood without the shedding of blood come on now so it is the shedding of the blood. It is the blood of Christ that he had to take when, when Jesus rose from the dead, resurrected. Mary Magdalene wanted to come and embrace him. He said, no, you can't do that. He said, I have not yet risen to my father. He went, ascended to heaven, took, taking his own blood and put it on the original tabernacle on the mercy seat, not made with hands. We'll get to that when we talk about the priesthood of Christ, okay, the implications of all of that. But the point I'm trying to make here, emphasize here to you, is that beating Jesus with whips and all of that does not atone for our sins. So what is the necessity of beating Why is this being subject to this by God the Father for all? Why? Why this beating? I mean, he's going to the cross. He's going to be crucified. They're going to kill him. So why not just take him and say, okay, it's all right. Just go there. You know, today, when you see people that are on death rows, unfortunately, and, you know, and they're about to let them go, at least uh, I've seen some of these documentaries, you know, they ask them for their last wishes, they ask them even what meal they want to have, and all of that. And Jesus was not giving all of this. He's going to die. He's on his way to death. But they're beating him, they're bruising him. And the Bible says he came Everything is written in the volume of his book. So what is the implication of this part? Because this part is the part that brings healing to you and I. The pain he was feeling in his body at this point is carrying that pain. He's carrying that pain for you and I. He's, 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 he's 
is working as a substitute for us. So at this point, he himself is taking our infirmities upon himself. So that by his stripes, we can be healed. First Peter chapter 1, verse 24. First Peter 1, 24. Second Peter. No, no, I think it's Second Peter chapter 1, verse 24. Give it to me. Who himself bore our sins in his own body? Give me the right translation, please. NKJV. Who himself bore our sins in his own body, he says, by whose stripes we were healed. Yeah, 224. Thank you. By whose stripes we were healed. So it's these stripes that brought the healing unto us. You would not be sick. So he was bruised. Then he was crucified with thieves. <laughs> Detailed. The Messiah has to be crucified with thieves. He can't just uh, uh, die on the cross. He has to be crucified. Thieves have to be there. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 12 says, Therefore I will divide him, from verse 12, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because the poor out his soul unto death, he will be numbered with transgressors. He will be numbered. He will be in the company of transgressors and bear the sin of many. And even while he's numbered with transgressors, carrying the sin of many, he will still be making intercession for the transgressors. Is that not what Jesus did? Okay? So let's look at it. What the NCV New Century Version says, for this reason I will make him a great man. You know, he has given him a name that is above every name, right? So this is the reason. Among the people, he will share in all things with those who are strong. He will willingly give his life. Jesus Christ said in John 10, 18, John 10 verse 18, nobody takes it from me, for I lay it down by myself. He said he will willingly give his life and was treated like a criminal. Did you see that? Come on, did you see that? All right. So in Matthew 27, 38, you see the fulfillment. Two robbers were crucified with him. Treated like a criminal. Treated like a criminal. One on the right and one on the left. Let's move forward. Number six. The Messianic prophecy number six about his death and burial. That his garment, what he's wearing, will be taken and that lots will be cast for it. In other words, they will throw the dice for it to find out who wins to get it. All right? In Psalm 22, verse 18, it says, Psalm 22, verse 18, Messianic prophecy says, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. Very clear, right? This is the fulfillment. In John chapter 19, verse 23 and 24, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and made four parts. To each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from top in one piece. They said to they said therefore among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose shall it be? That the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. You see? 
So this, John the writer here is telling you that messianic prophecy in Psalm 22 verse 18 is being fulfilled. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Let me jump quickly to application here. You know, sometimes when people are doing things to us, we have to find out if there are things that have been written. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Instead of us fighting the soldiers that are doing these things, let us change what has been written. And I, I, I will show you in a few minutes when we get to the application. Because whatever, whatever has been written, you see, the actors and the actresses on the stage have no discretion. Actors and actresses on the stage, they have no discretion. Of course, they have to embody the personality of the person that's been created in the script. Are you following? Yeah. And that's, and that's why you have a director of a movie. Because if the actors start showing discretion while the movie is being shot, you will hear cut. They have to cut it because you have to follow the script. You must follow the script. So if you don't, if you don't like what the act, if the actor doesn't like what is going to be happening, or you don't like what the actor is doing, it's not the actor you will fight. You have to go and change, change the script. Number seven, that his bones will not be broken. Psalm 34, verse 20 says, his, he guards all, all his bones, not one of them is broken. For you to know how profound this prophecy is. Crucifixion is the worst punishment in the Roman Empire reserved for the most the most vile type of criminal. So when they hang somebody on the cross, the person literally have to die on their own weight. They have to die on their own weight. And it takes hours. Hours. That's why it is written, cursed is the one that hangs upon the cross. It's hours. Everybody will be looking at them and know that the person is already accursed. Anyway, it takes hours for the person to die. So in order to help the person to die quickly, so that the soldiers can package the person and move on to the next set of people that need to be crucified, they go in there and they break their legs. So that when they break their legs, their own weight, then hanging on their own weight, they'll find it difficult to breathe. And in a way, they can die quickly because they're not breathing, you know. So that is what happens. But the Bible is saying here that it won't get to that point for Jesus that his bones will be broken. So, in John chapter 19, verse 33, the Bible says, when they, so they went to the first robber, they broke his, his leg. Because they went to the other one, they broke his leg. Then when they came to Jesus to break his own leg too, when they came to him, they saw that he was already dead. And they did not break his leg. Now, this is the interesting thing here. They broke his leg, first robber. They broke his leg so that he can die. Jesus was there. Then they came to him and they checked him. And said, ah, this one is gone. But how did Jesus die? Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Luke 23. First, before you give me Luke 23, 46, give me John 10, 18. Gospel according to John chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus Christ is saying here, you can't break my leg for me to die. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down, come on now, of myself. I have the power 
to lay it down. Nobody's going to break my leg and I say, oh, it's the broken leg that killed him. He said, I'm the one that laid it down. So let's find out if he laid it down to see how he died. Luke 23, 46. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and what did he say? Father, into your hands, come on, I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. That's how he died. He didn't die because there was no oxygen to breathe. He died because he committed his spirit. Please, you have to pardon me. I have to jump from being a teacher to being a pastor. Listen very carefully. Listen very carefully. You also, that's the way you're going to go. Sickness will not take you. Diseases will not take you. Accidents will not take you. You will have to consciously say, Father, it's time now. You've shown me that it's time. Now I'm going. I'm on my way. You have to commit your spirit to God before you breathe your last. Now, let me ask you a question. Please follow me intelligently, please. So Jesus, look at the scripture again. He, he said, Father, I commit into your hands, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed, come on, having said this, he did what? I'm going to ask you a question intelligently. Just follow me, please. So two things happened here. He committed his spirit, then he breathed his last. Which one came first? All right. When did he die? After he breathed his last. But which one came? What did he do before he breathed his last? So if he did not committed his spirit, if he did not commit his spirit, will he have breathed his last? Then you cannot breathe your last until you personally commit your spirit. So for somebody to say, death suddenly came and picked you, he cannot. As I'm saying this right now, the spirit of death, and I've seen the spirit of death personally, the spirit of death, I've seen it in our experience, it's come to me. But I'm telling you right now, and I'm addressing the spirit of death, he's hearing me right now, he does not have the authority to come to you. It can't take you and it will not take you. Until your last days on this earth, by God the Father, you commit. You will call your children to yourself and say, let me pray for you. You will pray for all of them, pray for your grandchildren, and tell them, mama is going home now, papa is going home now. That's the only time you will breathe your last. In Jesus' name. Finally, number eight. He will be buried, not in a poor man's tomb, <laughs> I wonder why God the Father put this kind of details there. You know, this part, it just amazes me. His body will not be just thrown on the streets. You know, it won't just even be buried in any tomb. It will be a rich man's tomb. Hmm. Hmm. Even as I'm saying it right now. It's obvious that this tomb, something very serious will happen at this tomb. The tomb will be empty. So it can't be an ordinary tomb because it's going to be a tourist attraction. It has to be a special tomb. So in, anyway, in Isaiah 53 verse 9, it says, they made his grave with the wicked. 
but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. With the rich at his death. So let's find out if it was really true. Isaiah, sorry, Matthew 27, verse 57 to 16. Now, when evening had come, there was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph. When I went to Israel in 2019, and a Torres, Togad, Togad, it was taking us around. The man has been doing it for um, 40 something years. So, when he was taking us around, and he took us to the tomb of Christ, so I got excited and I said, oh my goodness, wow. And he said, so he was talking. He said, oh, you know, a, you know, uh, a rich man. And so, so I mentioned the name of the man. So I said, oh, Joseph of Aramathia. He looked at me and he said, Joseph from the village of Ramah. He said, that's what it means. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, like I said. <laughs> Joseph Aramathia, Joseph from the village. So every time I get to this point, I just remember Joseph, let's call it, what is it? Arimathea, right? From the village of Rabbi. Who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had out of the rock. And he rolled the large stone against the door of it, okay, but there was a rich man, he was a rich man, so he laid in the grave of a rich man you see all these very specific details I have come in the volume of your book, it is written of me, so with all these rich details, and there are many more but let's just take this few, because I want to go into something I call application you've seen the literary interpretation of messianic prophecies being fulfilled. Now let's go into application. Please pay attention because this application is not on the slide, on the app. So pay attention. The first application I want you to know is this. God is never surprised. Everything about your life is detailed, is written out. God is never surprised. Can you say that with me? Please say it again. One more time, please say it. God. Many a times we think God is surprised. You lose a job, I think God is surprised. You lose a house, I think God is surprised. You lose a loved one, maybe God is surprised. We think God is caught unawares by certain things. And so, but it shows in our attitude when we pray. So when we're praying, we're trying to pass the urgency of the situation to God. So you will see people praying the prayers of petition. Prayers of petition. Prayers of petition. I'm not talking of prayers of worship. I'm not talking of prayers of consecration. You see, prayers of worship and prayers of consecration. You can do that. But when you see people praying prayers of petition and they're rolling on the floor because they're trying to pass the urgency and the seriousness of the situation to God. And God the Father is looking at them and saying, what is this? Matthew chapter 6 verse 8. Put it on the screen please. Matthew chapter 6 verse 8. Therefore, do not be like them. Don't be like pagans that are trying to appease their gods. Don't be like them. For your father 
knows the things you have need of. At what time did he know it? Before you ask nothing. So you're rolling on the floor. I'm talking of the prayer of petition. You're rolling on the floor. You're going this way, rolling on the floor. It's an idol worship mentality. That, you are not going to pass the urgency of your situation to God. Neither are you going to pass the seriousness of it to God. Why? Because he knows of it. Come on now, come on. Yeah, yeah. If, if, now listen very carefully. If you're worshiping God, of course, you can lay on the floor. If you're praying the prayer of consecration to God, you can do that. And if lying on the floor is your most comfortable prayer position, by all means do it. But if you are thinking the rolling on the floor is what will catch God's attention, then you're not behaving scripturally. Does it make sense to us? Does it make sense? The reason is because God is omniscient. There's nothing for God to learn. God can never be informed about anything. He can never be informed about anything. Why? He knows all things. The question is, when did he know all things? God is eternal. The past, the present, and the future are in God. To God, they are all one. That's why God, he that sits in the heavens, is always laughing. Psalm 2 verse 4. He said, why did the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? He said, he that sits in heaven, he laughs. Because he knows how everything is going to turn out. Acts of Apostles chapter 15 verse 18. Please listen to this there. Known to God. When was it known to God? From eternity. Are all of his works, including all of your life. He knows everything that has happened to you, that will happen to you in the future. Everything. Look at the details about the messianic prophecy by Jesus. His clothes, where he will be buried. His friend that will betray him. Look at all those nitty little details. God knows everything that will happen to you, that has happened to you, and that will be happening to you. Every single thing. He didn't just know it now. He knew it from eternity. He knew the man that would be at the immigration desk that would say no. He knows that man. He knew the day that man was born. That that man, that is the purpose. His man is coming to serve. Hmm. And, but he's the one that said, I have raised up Pharaoh for this sake. So that he can be stubborn. And I can show him that through his stubbornness, I would still achieve what I want to achieve. So that by a mighty hand, I can still bring Israel out. Exodus chapter 6 verse 1. So the stubbornness of Pharaoh does not intimidate God. The refusal first time, appeal, refusal second time, God is not intimidated because he knows. He's never surprised. Somebody say God is not surprised. Oh, say it like you believe it. God is not surprised. Oh, shout it like you believe it. God is not surprised. This is a very powerful thing you need to know about God. It's not surprised. You know, when I go, to, I find myself in a situation, I remind myself of this immediately. I am surprised about the situation. I was not aware of this. This has surprised me. It caught me unawares. But Father, you are never surprised. Nothing catches you unaware. I know there is always a solution before the problem came. You knew this would happen at this point. So, Lord, you know some people get to that point. They get angry at God. God, why did you not prevent this? God, why didn't you do something about this? Listen. Listen. At that point when you get into that situation, it's not the point to be 
asking God, prevent, Lord, this has happened now. What do I do now? Show me a way out. No temptation has befallen a man that is not common to man. Okay? And you are a faithful God. You will never allow me to be tempted more than what I'm able to go through. You will, with the same temptation, show me a way of escape. Father, I know you're omniscient and I know there's a way of escape. Today is not the day you learned this will happen. Before eternity, Lord, before you already knew this will happen and you put a path, a, a path in place for me to escape this. Show me the way, Lord. Are you with me now? <laughs> you think losing your job surprised God? God knows about that manager or the fake man or woman that calls himself a manager. He knew. He knew. God knew about the young lady that denied me the visa to go to the United States of America on the third time I applied while I was in London. He knew that lady was there. He knew the lady was going to be there. And the lady did not just look at me. thought I looked like O.J. Simpson. <laughs> and that was the time his case was going on and just told me, application received. Just go out through that door. And that was it. Just dismissed my destiny like that. But God knew. I did not know. I was broken. I was shattered. I thought it was the end of my life. And God said, very, very good. It's the end of a chapter. Now let's open the next chapter. And I'm saying that over somebody here, a new chapter is just about to open. <laughs> I know, I know. A new chapter is just about to open. Maybe the person is in the online church. A new chapter is just about to open. If you are that person, jump on your feet. Give Jesus a shout of praise. Please listen carefully. Don't you ever agree with the enemy that you have reached your last bus stop. As long as you are breathing, there is no devil in the world. Now, let me see some sit down for a minute. Let me show you something. You see, in the Bible, what we call a book, it's not a book you can you flip open like this. It's actually a scroll. That is scroll. It's a scroll. Okay? So when it says in the volume of your books, I've come the way it is written of me. It's actually in the, in the volume of your scrolls. So it's scroll after scroll after scroll. So when you take a scroll, the whole idea of a scroll, when you take a scroll and you open it like this, you read this part. Every Latin inside the scroll is not yet open. Do you agree with me? Yeah. Now, listen, this is the way it works. It is only the part that is open that Satan can see. Once that part is open in the realm of the spirit, anybody can tap into it and see it. That's how those people saw that Jesus was born. Because that part was now open. So they said, we have seen his star. But they did not see the rest. Because the only one that is open. So God does not open everything. So so what you have seen right now that the enemy is thinking is the last most of that Because the enemy does not know what is left there. So you are seeing here right now, you've started from here, you got into this edge now, you've lost something, and you're so angry. But you don't know what is there. So please don't commit suicide. Because there's still a lot in this scroll, and there's still many other scrolls left. Don't you ever say to yourself, my life is over. It's not over. I actually thought my life was over in 1995. Look at that, 28 years ago. I thought my life was over. 28 years ago, I thought my life was over. Scroll, scroll, scroll. And then God begins to unfold it. And Satan said, bye, I didn't see this one coming. I didn't see this one coming. 
He can't see it. And I'm going to show you in a few minutes. He cannot see it. Second thing you need to know is this. The enemy will not have the last laugh. I can tell you this. I don't know what specifically in, in the scroll for your life that God has written. I don't know. But there's one scroll I know what is there. It's the last scroll. And in that last scroll, there's only one chapter. And in that chapter, it says you win. By the time it's all said and done, I said you win. That last scroll, final scroll, is a scroll that God has given us opportunity to see based on the prophecies of scripture. Because it says the end of a matter. Come on now. And though your beginning was small, your latter end. And you have a wonderful future. Come on now. If you're that person God is speaking to right now, you know what to do. Open your mouth. Give him some praise for 30 seconds. Give him some praise for 30 seconds. Yes, yes. I don't know what the middle is like, but I know how it will end. Satan, you can't have the last laugh. Not on my life. You cannot have the last laugh. Come on, pray, 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 pray. You can't. I know how it will end. Concerning me, concerning my wife, concerning my children, concerning my ministry, say to the righteous, it shall be well with him. It is well with me. It is well with my children. It is well with my wife. My wife is a fruitful vine in the midst of my house. My children are olive plants round about my table. My children will be mighty on the earth. I will go from glory to glory. That is how it will end. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. Let's start from verse 8. Please take your seat. Exodus 15 verse 8. Quickly. Uh, let's start from verse, start from verse 6. No, go to verse 9. Let's go to verse 9 because of time. Verse 9. Thank you. Thank you. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide this world. My desire shall be satisfied. Now, the reason why the enemy is having this level of confidence, <laughs> the reason why the enemy is having this level of confidence is Exodus chapter 15, verse 2 and 3. Exodus 15, verse 2 and 3. So Satan, Pharaoh, an embodiment of Satan, is not saying what he's saying because he doesn't have some facts. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Keep going. Sorry, Exodus chapter 14, please. 14, verse 2 and 3. Exodus 14. Yeah, keep going. Start, start from there. Start from there. Start from there. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp in Pi Harirot, between Migdor and the sea, opposite Baal Sephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. Now, God tells Moses, He said, I've anticipated it. Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. They are confused. They are confounded. They don't know what to do anymore. They think they left me, but the land has entrapped them. They are trapped. 
they stagnated. They didn't know what next to do. They lost their job. They lost the loved person. This is going home with them. They can't get this. They can't get that. The wilderness has closed them in. This is what Pharaoh will say. Now, this is the truth. Listen very carefully. Go back to the preceding verse. Confirms what I've been telling you. God is the one that told Moses, tell the children of Israel to turn. Don't turn yet. Just wait for me. <laughs> now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to turn and camp. And he gave them the specific geographical coordinates where they will stay. Between Migdol and the sea. Opposite, so that they don't miss it. He said, this is where I want you to stay. You see, when you stay there, I want to get Pharaoh to be confused. It's astrologers, it's wizards and everything. When they tap into the realm of the spirit, they will say, ah, you're gone. Because this is the part of the scroll I've just opened. So here you are right now, you have a diagnosis, you have something, and you are looking at it, and God, you're thinking, I'm, I'm trapped. I will have to live with this for the rest of my life. I'm trapped. You are not. He said, Pharaoh will say, so how does Pharaoh speak to us today? Pharaoh speaks to us today. Pharaoh in the Bible is a type of Satan, the devil himself. He speaks to us by whispering, by bringing thoughts into our mind. He also uses people around us to speak to us. He spoke to Jesus through Peter. Peter is, is, is good intentioned, sincere, but Satan spoke to Jesus through Peter. Do you agree with me? It's in Matthew chapter 16. So he will speak through some experts. He will speak sometimes respectfully to some doctors, to some experts in the land, and they will tell you it's not doable. They will tell you 35 years of experience, I've never seen this before. Fantastic, because you're about to see it now. They said, nobody has ever come out of this. Good news, because you're about to see it now. You are going to witness a miracle. So Pharaoh will say that. Pharaoh will say that. And that's what happened. When Pharaoh said that, what the children of Israel did when they saw Pharaoh, they started panicking. I think it's in verse 10. The Bible says they were very afraid. Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. Yeah. They were very afraid. The children of Israel cried out to God. This is the prayer of panic. Cried out to God. But I want you to settle it in your heart right now. Satan, or the enemy, or devil, or his agents, they will not have the last laugh over you. I think I need you to verbalize that to yourself. Satan, you will not have the last laugh over me. You will not have the last laugh over my wife. You will not have the last laugh over my children. You will not have the last laugh over my assignment. You will not have the last laugh over me. In the name of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible describes God not as a wise God. As the only wise God. This is a very, very powerful revelation. That God is the only wise God. It's not the most wise. It's the one. It's the only wise God. That means relative to the wisdom of God, every other thing called wisdom is foolishness. And this is one of the reasons. Just one of the reasons. God can incorporate the worst plan of the enemy into his own plan and then surprise the enemy. So the enemy's best plan that he has put together through a lot of work and said, this one, I've done it. The wilderness has closed them in. There's no way. He will put all of that in place. 
the worst plan of the enemy. God will look at the enemy and say, all right, I've seen your worst plan. That's fantastic. So God told Moses, he said, Pharaoh will say, he's taking the plan of Pharaoh, put it inside his own plan. That's why the Bible can say, in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. It is true, the worst plan of the enemy is to say, here comes the dreamer. <laughs> Let us kill him and see what will become of his dream. They put him in the water, waterless pit, and when they could not kill him, eventually they said, all right, all right, let's sell him into Egypt. Let the Midianites take him into slavery. And usually, 99.9999% of those that are sold into slavery, they never see the light of the day. They die in that slavery. He said, we'll see what will become of his dream. And you know, many a times, your dream, what your aspirations, what you have verbalized, is put stress on the devil and his agents. They've looked at you, they've looked at your children, They've seen the way your, the trajectory of your life is put a lot of pressure on them. And they're saying, we will see what will become of our dream. And the truth is that they will see your dream materialize. Yeah. I said, they will see your dream materialize. Yeah. In the name of Jesus Christ that raised me and called me. They will see your dream materialize. Yeah. The name of Jesus Christ. So God looks at them, he takes, he takes all of you devils, witches, wizards, occultic people, Freemason, you know, all of you guys, bring your plans, bring your plans, submit your plans. He submits all of their worst plans. God puts it in, he incorporates it into his own plan and writes in script. So when the, witch, the fact that the witches are gathering, God is not surprised. There are worst decisions there. <laughs> all of the worst decisions they're making there, they don't even understand. God has seen that plan. He's already put the way of escape. You will never be defeated again. And the enemy is about to face their biggest regrets. He <laughs> said, God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. But that this is what I like. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Not the wisdom of this age, not of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. That is a mystery. The hidden wisdom of God, it is hidden. Which God ordained before Ayakaskaya, the ages for our glory. But you see, you see, the reason why, listen carefully, the reason why you as a believer get into a situation and you're going to feel like, I don't know what next to do. I don't even know if God is hearing me. I don't even know what to do. Please understand. The reason why is because the wisdom and the mystery that is needed to come out of it, God has hidden it, not from you, but for you. If it had been revealed too early, the enemy will have known your way of escape. So God hides it for you. That's what the scripture says. It has been hidden for our glory. So the fact that you can't access it immediately, the situation happens, does not mean there is no solution. It just means that solution has been hidden for your glory. So the prayer is, Lord, that solution you have hidden for my glory, show it to me now. The hidden mystery, the light, the mystery is talking about the light that we need to shine for me to apply, to break the siege of the enemy. Show it to me now. And one of the ways we do that is to pray in the spirit. I've done this, I've done this too many times. Don't forget, I've been by the grace of God, by the message God has shown me, April of next year to be exact, it will be 24 years I've been doing this. I can tell you, do you think I face challenges at all in 24 years? Do you think I face challenges? <laughs> you don't even know the challenges I face. 
ministry challenges, personal challenges. I faced too many devils, too many battles, a lot. But all time, all the time, I would take a walk because that's what Adam used to do. Kava Yakata, Fedilimandoskivia, Kajivia. I've named all the animals. All of them have short necks. I just saw one strange one. The neck is very long. What do I call that one now? Kifishia, Kataya, Giraffe, Ayaka, Yabaza, Giraffe. Strange, strange things. What has been seen? But you pray, Safiya, Shokviana, Spirit of the Living God, show me a way out. Ndakush, Vrinaketia. I don't know the way out. You know the way out. You've hidden it for me, not from me. Ngajiyabaya. He that prays in an unknown tongue, he speaks mysteries to God. Ngaviyandanaya. Then you download the mysteries. The light breaks forth, and you get a solution. Are you with me, Church? But this is the part which none of the rulers of this age not one of them knew principalities don't know about it rulers of darkness don't know about it they did not know Satan is not all smart he's not now if Satan the devil himself does not know and the Bible said he finally regretted he even crucified Christ because he did not know that Christ will show up in hell and come and collect the keys of death from him he didn't know he regretted it. I mean, if Satan had known what God would be doing with my small life here in Canada today, he would have given me a first class ticket to go to America and just go and do my pharmacy. Just go there, go and do your pharmacy and prop and live, live. Eh? This is what you're coming to do. But he did not see it. He didn't see this part. He only saw from my pharmacy. And he sat down, he was fighting me on that. God said, let him fight that. He's fighting a losing battle. And he fought that, he fought the losing battle. And God said, he, look at this man, he's a foolish man. He's standing beyond the door that I myself closed. <laughs> Acts chapter 5. The guards were standing in front of the door. Meanwhile, Peter was already in the temple preaching again. Guarding an empty door. The same thing the guys were guarding an empty tomb. Satan is standing at the door and say, This man will not practice pharmacy. The witches were they were turning their things, doing all manners of strange things. Wizards were doing their own. Occultic powers were having meetings. This man must not practice pharmacy. We must make bring him down. We're bringing him down. We'll bring his family down. And God said, Let them be wasting their time. Don't worry. Let them put him a lot of man hours. They were wasting their time. And God said, Don't worry. They only had P. They thought the P always means pharmacy. When, they, when I opened the scroll, they just saw P, and quickly they saw it was the pharmacy. And they're fighting that. They didn't know that the P can also mean pastor, can also mean prophet. Come on now. Come on now, somebody. Come on now, somebody. Come on now, somebody. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Come on, give Jesus a shout of praise. They didn't know. They didn't know. They didn't know. My dad's sister that was fighting me, that told my dad, he will come back here. Oh. <laughs> he said, he will come back and meet me here. Because she thought, because when I was practicing pharmacy in Nigeria, I had an official car, she thought that was what it was going to be. Oh. Joker. She did not say anything. Hallelujah. She did, she, thought, she did not say anything. The next she was going to hear, I was in Canada pastoring. Now I'm now under a covenant that says, Touch not my anointed. Do my promise no hard. 
Now she realizes she can't fight. She was waiting for pharmacy, 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 pharmacy. I was out there. I pray for you. Whatever door the enemy is guarding, may God open other significant doors for you. May my God open other significant doors for you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Please take a seat. Let's, let's conclude on this. The, second, the third thing I wanted to know quickly is this. You cannot run out of options when you trust God. Please never say, I have no options. Never let that come out of your mouth again. The last time you said it should be the last you said forever. As a born again Christian, never say, what, okay, which other options will I have? I have no options. You are not aware of the options you have. That's the statement. I'm not aware of all my options. I'm trusting God to lead me. That's good. That's scriptural. But don't say, I have no. You see, when you keep on saying that, you are moving yourself further and further away from the solution God wants to provide. You can never run out of options when you trust God. Why is it so? Because of the character of God, that God is the creator. And there's no time to go through all of it, but this is what you have to understand quickly about God. God does not need options. God does not work based on options. You see, for you to be working based on options, it means there's somebody superior to you that put those options there. For example, in an examination hall, the lecturer, multiple choice, he says the questions, right? As far as our exam is concerned, the lecturer is superior to the students. Am I correct? Yeah. So if God, for God to have options means there will be somebody superior to him. So God does not have options. He does not need options. Why? He just makes a way in the wilderness. That's it. So you say, how many doors are here? One, two, three. For me to go out through here. These are my options. Oh God. But God doesn't, God doesn't have to go through the door. Just have to go to the door. In John chapter 10, verse 7, he said, I am the door. He said, I am the door. So he doesn't need to go through the door. If God, once God begins to walk, he says, follow me. And he said, Lord, because all the doors are locked, I don't even know which one to go. He says, follow me. And we're going. And he says, ah, if you're looking at him, say, God, we're going through a wall. That's a wall there. And as he keeps on going, the Bible says, the sea saw him and fled. The mountains, they skipped like rams. He said, what, what, what ails you, O mountain, that you skip? He said, tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. As if God says, let's go. And what you see is a wall. It is because as God is coming, that wall will become a door. He makes a way in the wilderness. Please listen to me. He will make a way for you. Somebody came into this service, you are facing a very difficult situation. It looks like it will never change. Listen, listen, listen to me. Listen to me. I'm speaking to you as one sent by God. That situation, within seven days, you will see how dramatically it will change in your favor. Dramatically, it will change in your favor. One more time, dramatically, it will change in your favor. Remain standing, if you're standing, I'm done. Please listen very carefully. I'm about to pray for you now. I'm about to pray for you. Now. This is the last Sunday before the fast. Before the end of the fast, rather. Fasting the fast on Friday. And please make sure you're here on Friday. About 24 years ago, it was in the year 2000, I had a very, very real encounter with Jesus Christ. Real encounter with Jesus Christ. I put myself in the place of consecration. 
no food, no water. And Christ, Christ appeared to me from his word. Like he appeared to Samuel from his word. First Samuel 3.21. And he gave me a mandate. And he said to me, I should go and empower people to achieve their dreams and to fulfill their destiny. Please listen very carefully to what I'm saying. This is not just a story. I'm building up your faith. To empower them to be a positive influence in the society. The taste of the pudding is in the eating. God sent me with an apostolic call to do what I'm doing. I wasn't put together as a result of a group of people coming together and sending me. Respectfully, honorably, reverently, I'm not sent by a denomination. I'm sent by God. God gave me a commission. I tell you this, listen very carefully. And when God sends, the angel of God to back up that calling goes with them. Acts chapter 7 verse 35. That is why you've seen the result you've seen. You've seen the result you've seen not because of smartness. Not because of somebody is better than the other. It's just a confirmation of the fact that the sender is there. He said he delivered. Let's read it from the beginning. Acts 7.35. Moses whom they rejected saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one God sent to be a ruler, come on, and a deliverer. How is he going to do it? By the hand of the angel who appeared to him. That's it. So when they say, when God said to Moses, stretch your hand over the river, over the river, um, the Red Sea, is the hand of the angel that appeared to him. He said, strike the rock, is the hand of the angel. In Exodus 10, God told him, lift up your hands. You know, he lifted up his hand. He brought in the wind and all of that. Is by the hand of the angel. Moses is just doing something in the natural. The angel is the one doing it. It's God at work. If you see that word angel there, go back to it, please, quickly. Acts 7.35 is capitalized. That's the Christophany. That is Christ appearing before he came. So the one that sent me is with me. I tell you this. So I want to say this over you today based on Exodus chapter 9. Verse 4, the latter part, Exodus chapter 9, verse 4. First thing I want to pray over you right now. Please let your amen be resounding. He said, the last sentence, so nothing shall die that belongs to the children of Israel. Anything that concerns you, whether it's your children, your husband, your wife, your business, your ministry, your career, anything, your health, nothing shall die concerning you. Somebody is watching today, your organs will not die. Your organs will not die. Your children will not die. You will not bury your children in the name of Jesus Christ. The angel said, God said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Lift up your hand over the sea. Of course, Moses knew his hand cannot divide the sea, just like my hand cannot bring a solution, but it's not my hand. It's the hand of the angel that appeared to me, the angel that has brought everything about. I stretch my hand towards you. I don't know if it's not your neighbor, I'm stretching my hand towards or you, but I'm stretching my hand. Where they've said there is no way. In the name of Jesus the Christ that died and on the third day he rose from the dead. And it's one that appeared to me and sent me. I declare over you today, may a way customized for you be made for you. 
in Jesus' name. Where you saw nowhere before, may a path specially customized for you be open for you right now. And all the forces pursuing you that have been harassing your destiny up to this point. This day, as the waters of the Red Sea closed over the force of Pharaoh, may circumstances of life override every one of them. Please say a bigger When it looked like it will fail, the reason why it did not fail is not because I'm smarter than anybody. No way. Or I work harder than anybody. No way. It is because the person that sent me is there. He's the one that told me when people were saying nobody's coming to church again during the pandemic. He's the one that spoke to me and said, except I leave, nobody has left. And is that true now? <laughs> I say over you today, Today, the favor that will bring you a pleasant surprise, receive it in Jesus' name. The favor that will bring a pleasant surprise to you, receive it in Jesus' name. Just two more things I want to say over you. God said to Moses, he said, these people are crying. Moses said to God, these people are crying for meat. They're crying for food. I'm in the wilderness here. What am I going to do? What will I get for them? God told him, lift up your hands. Provisions will come from a surprising place. Everybody that's ever eaten in this world, the food came horizontally. Nobody ever expected food to be dropping vertically. For man, I'm ready to eat. But it was dropping for them. It was dropping. Where man did not think solutions would come from. In the name of Jesus, I lift my hands towards you today and I declare over you, solutions will arise for you in strange places. Solutions will come to you from strange quarters. It will come to you from strange quarters. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. Finally, finally, Exodus 12, 31. In the middle of the night, Pharaoh called Moses and called Aaron and said, he called them by night and said, rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. Go, serve the Lord as you have said. In other words, he's saying, I've admitted defeat. You have defeated me. So I pray over you today resounding complete and permanent resounding complete permanent resounding complete and permanent victory I decree it over you today in Jesus name all the forces that have risen over against you witchcraft, wizardry whatever they are right now resounding complete permanent victory over them is your portion in Jesus name the forces that have risen up against you you will never see them again in the name of Jesus Christ 
Listen to me, except God did not send me. But I tell you this, this Christmas, as you, if you believe, you will spend it in joy. By the hand of the angel that sent me, you will spend this Christmas in joy. Do you believe what I've said to you? Do you believe this prophetic word? You will spend this Christmas in joy. Now, if you know you receive this, open your mouth, give Jesus some praise. Give him some praise. Give him some praise. Give him some praise. This is the end of the message. We are sure that you have been blessed. For more information, please visit our website at www.houseofpraise.ca. God bless you.